did not know that I understood their vulgarity, their snarling insults. Their words and their stench filled me with a sense of wickedness that has never left me. We were herded into a flat-roofed, dingy building at the end of the tarmac. Thankfully, a slight breeze worked its way through the windows, but the room was thick with the odor of fifteen perspiring bodies, the sweaty foulness of the soldiers, and fear. We were kept there for hours, the leering suggestiveness of the soldiers tormenting the women. But I was tormented by what I saw on my mother's face. She was a strong Texas woman, but on this day, her face betrayed first her worry, then her overwhelming anxiety, and finally her terror. That's when she began to cry. This shattered me, and it was there, sitting on that nasty floor, watching my mother weep, her husband a thousand miles away, that I met for the first time the suffocating spirit of tyranny. It filled that room in all of its dark hues. The disregard for life, the soul-killing domination, the complete absence of choice, the stinking wet blanket of helplessness, the brute power that obliterates individuality, the constant threat of death. On that steamy Havana tarmac in 1959, Fidel Castro did me a favor. He showed me the contorted face of leftist tyranny and let me feel the wickedness which gives that tyranny its strength. Though I did not understand it at the time, that day in my young life formed a kind of commission. My purpose on earth would ultimately become about the fight against socialist oppression in all its forms. This, then, is my life. This is my battle. This is the story I'm eager to tell. I came into politics because I was devoted to a body of ideas. I know this defies the caricature. Conservatives are supposed to be the country club set, come to government to preserve their privileges, aren't they? They aren't supposed to have ideas. They are supposed to love profit and sing the praises of the free market. But ideas? No. Liberals expect conservatives to rape the land, oppress the poor, worship weapons, celebrate dictatorships, and make government the handmaiden of the rich. Nothing could be further from the truth. In my case, I had come to love a set of ideas, and these are what propelled me toward government. These ideas were not new, though. They had been championed by Edmund Burke and John Adams, by Alexander Hamilton and Fisher Ames. They had been explained to my generation by William Buckley and C.S. Lewis, by Russell Kirk and Malcolm Muggeridge. And they had been thundered into the political marketplace of ideas during my lifetime by men like Barry Goldwater and Ronald Reagan. These ideas were simple, and yet they so challenged the course of the 20th century that they seemed radical when I first went to Washington. There is a God, and because this is true, there is absolute moral truth. Human life is not about the state, but about God and His unfolding will for every individual. Because men are flawed, governments should be kept small, should be bound by contracts with the people, known as constitutions, and should be checked by an internal system of balanced powers. Political power should be decentralized so that the state and local governments that are closest to the people have the greatest authority to shape their lives. The free market works best to distribute goods and services. Government should stay out of the way. Taxes are a necessary evil, and so should be kept small, fair, and few. This way of life, this American system, should be protected by avoiding entangling international alliances, fiercely guarding the nation's borders, clinging tenaciously to the ways of the Founding Fathers and making sure that all these values are impressed on the next generation. This is what I believe, and this is what I fought for. 
When I entered the United States House of Representatives in 1985, these ideas were the minority view. But things were changing, and by 1994, these views held enough sway and enough hearts to become the majority view. And thank God they did. Because of what has come to be known as the conservative revolution, life in America has been transformed. As I say these words early in 2007, I can attest that because of the power of conservative ideas and the work of some political heroes willing to pay the price, the following is true. Every American now pays lower federal income taxes. 25 million taxpayers receive a child tax credit. 30 million married couples pay less in taxes because of marriage penalty relief. Every serviceman and woman in America is better equipped and better paid. The U.S. intelligence community has more spy satellites, more agents, and operates in more nations than ever in the nation's history. Some 2.3 million former welfare recipients have jobs. 3.5 million fewer families live.